you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. And this is Wednesdays with Will, and I'm Will Addison. I'm glad that you guys are, are listening today. have a lot I want to talk about, but before we get to that, just a, a couple announcements. First, mark on your calendars, July 6th to the 8th. It's going to be the Marriage Family Life Conference 2023. You don't want to miss it. The theme is for His Glory Alone for his glory alone. And so we're going to have some great speakers. Some, it's going to be a great time of this ministry um, for the whole family. That's the thing. This is a conference for the entire family. We have the youth apologetics track for children uh, ages 4 to 17, where they're going to get some great teaching, apologetics, and it's, it's going to be awesome. They're going to leave there with some things to, to tell you about uh, for the glory of God. And also, we're going to have some great speakers in the in the general con- conference. Uh, looking forward to that. So mark on your calendars. And we're going to have some um, news coming up real soon about registration, early bird registration. That's coming real soon. So stay tuned uh, when you can uh, get your, get get those uh, early bird uh, tickets and uh, be a part of this, this year's conference. You're not going to want to miss it. You know, every year I feel like it's a family reunion. And I praise God that it feels like, just a, a coming together of God's people, like minds, you know, and just really to be strengthened, uh, to see the different families from all over the country, just an awesome thing. So the Marriage Family Life uh, Conference 2023, July 6th to the 8th, right here in Tupelo, Mississippi. And there'll be more details coming soon. Also, we're still asking uh, for you to join us and uh, to help provide for the Greatest Journey curriculum to, to 10,000 children across the world. And your gift of $6 provide evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. That's so important. Evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication uh, for one child in over 100 countries worldwide. Uh, It happens through the greatest journey. If you would like to uh, be a part of that, by donating $6, you're providing one child everything they need to participate in the greatest journey. That includes a student uh, booklet, a graduation certificate, New Testament Bible, and selected stories from the Old Testament all through the local church. The donate, donation suggestion, six, $60 reaches um, 10 children, $150 reaches 25, so you can be a part of this. And remember, evangelism, evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication in over 100 countries worldwide. Call 877-616-2396. 877-616-2396 or donate online at AFR.net. Well, all right. Today, I want to spend some time talking about where we are today as the church. You know, I just had some time to think about what we have experienced over the last few years. Um, you know, just with the pandemic, some people call it the pandemic. Uh, 
and the different things that, that surrounded that. And I want to talk about evil times, how evil times require a robust church. Evil times require a robust church. All right. So like I said, having time to think about what uh, happened uh, during the lockdowns and mask and fear, lies, control, and the fact that a fatal virus was released on the world by evil men. The most disheartening thing to me and all that happened was its effect on the church and what it uh, exposed in the church. This proved to affect the church greatly, and it exposed some weaknesses that uh, were in the church. Now, these are weaknesses that I think many people, if you have discernment, you, you knew and you saw things were off. But this, this uh, 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 COVID-19, this virus, this whole situation with the lockdowns and all the mandates and everything really exposed some, uh, some weaknesses within the church. The government mandated shutdowns, and the church, in essence, said we have to obey man rather than God. The church said we have to obey man rather than God. Not, let me be clear, not all churches, of course. So I don't want to, you know, just make the general statement. There were some who had a conviction within to say, no, we got to figure out how we can still meet together. Even if it's not in big groups, we have to figure this out because we are uh, commanded to do so. But there were many that just shut down. And there are some who just recently opened. <laughs> and uh, or they are feeling the effects of the shutdown that most of the people, a lot of the people never really came back. It exposed a lot within the church. You know, there were Christian leaders criticizing other Christian leaders for keeping their churches open. Uh, there were, to me, it seemed a few that were willing to civilly disobey the mandates at risk of jail time. You know, high profile, I know Pastor John MacArthur, uh, he was back and forth, you know, with his church and, and the government about what he was doing, that he didn't shut down. But it seems that most feared being unloving. See, a lot of people feared, oh, it's going to cause us to look like we're unloving, like we don't love people. Some feared being called unloving. But on the other side, I believe that there were really some who were mindful to protect the well-being of their congregants. They really had it in their heart like, man, I don't want any of my people to succumb to this. So we're just going to follow along with these mandates, but I have to ask the question, at what cost? At what cost? At what cost? Because the Bible clearly states in Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 25 says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So us coming together for fellowship as the body of believers is not up for negotiation, right? This is something that we do because true koinonia and true discipleship and true love shown to one another can only happen in that 
uh, uh, being in the same proximity, being there with other believers. You can only go so far online or just watching, you know, uh, 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 church on, on, on video or whatever. That only goes so far. Text messaging only goes so far. It only goes so far. You have to have that proximity. You have to have that. And we were willing to easily give that up. In a lot of different situations, a lot of scenarios, easily. It didn't take much. Just the threat caused us to buckle. And so I'm talking about in evil times, we have to have, it requires a robust church, a strong church. Now I want to do a, just a little history lesson on the church and how we have dealt historically with pandemics and different things that may arise. So this is a, a part of an article from the Dallas Baptist University, University and it's called Pandemics and the Church. What does history teach us? All right. And it says in ancient Roman times, when plagues struck, it was often Christians who demonstrated the most humanitarian care towards the sick and dying that even pagans and oppressive emperors could not help but take notice. In the era of the Protestant Reformation, when an outbreak of plague struck Wittenberg, Martin Luther responded that prayers of faith should be offered up for God's mercy, along with responsible practices of sanitation, medication, self-quarantine, and social distancing to help stop the spread in love for others. Yet Luther and his wife, Katie, also did not refuse their own home to those in need of care. As Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, based on Psalm 46, triumphantly stated in the face of earthly trials, God's truth abided still. His kingdom is forever. In 1918, Spanish flu killed millions worldwide. Church buildings uh, in affected areas in the U.S. were closed while believers continued worshiping from house to house. All right. So that's the thing. If you're going to close down your church, we need to have in place where we're still gathering together because the building does not matter necessarily. But it's that the people of God are still getting together, still doing what we're called to do. Some churches opened their doors to serve as health clinics, as hospitals were bursting at the seams with patients. As was often the case, many sacrificed their lives to care for the sick. In an outbreak of the Ebola crisis that reached uh, Liberia in 2014, the missionary compound of ELWA became ground zero for medical treatment. And many Liberian nationals and Western missionaries um, like Nancy uh, Wrightbull, courageously serve others at great risk and cost to themselves. This is just the history of what we do as believers. And it's, it's more modern history that bears this out. And then uh, there was also an article in the uh, Gospel Coalition, and it's titled Responding to Pandemics, Four Lessons from Church History. And some of this, is uh, already said, but I want to point out the plague of Cyprian. It was a lethal pandemic that uh, at its height caused upwards of 5,000 deaths a day in Rome. 
While the plague severely weakened the Roman Empire, the Christian response to it won admiration and greater following. See, in the times of crisis and peril, when we, the church, are the church, it adds to the bride. People see that sacrifice, and they're like, man, these people really love with a different type of love. And they want to join themselves to that. They're like, man, I need this. I need this. Dionysus, um, Bishop of Alexandria, reported, most of our brother Christians uh, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and and curing others transferred their debt to themselves and died in their stead. Man, that's heart. That's charity. That's charity. And this is what the church has been historically. It goes on to say that this evident Christ-likeness, taking debt in order to give life, stood in stark contrast to those outside the church. He continues, but with the heathen, everything was quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. They shunned any participation or fellowship with death, Yet, uh, which yet, with all their precautions, it was not easy for them to escape. <laughs> and so you have a, a, a stark contrast with the heathen and those who are following Christ. They were willing to lay it all on the line that others would be saved physically. And you know they were sharing the gospel. This was a, a great red carpet for the gospel to show the love of Christ. Now, here in the United States with this um, pandemic 2020, it exposed a lot about the church. A lot that at the hint of a threat that we would capitulate, that we would bow down, that we would say, okay, 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 we can't do this anymore. We can't meet together. There's a problem in that. And we're going to talk more about this. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will, and I'll be back right after this. Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. And I'm Will Addison, and today we're talking about an evil times require a robust church. And we were just going through a little history, and I was just 
sharing how the church in different times stood up to the plate. You know, came up, stood up and said, hey, you know, we're going to help out. We're going to be the church in spite of what the world is doing. And even in spite of, you know, fear of man and everything like that, like we're going to rest upon the word of God. We're going to be the church. Um, so I'm going to continue on with some of these lessons from church history, just as it pertains to different plagues and things and how the church rose up and was an example in the, in the, in the midst of all of that. Um, uh, Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, uh, the Christian population in AD 251 to have been just shy, was just shy of 1.2 million. Uh, that's 1.9% of the empire. Uh, it's an incredible increase from the second century, though the church still represented only a tiny minority within the empire. And so there was a plague. Though it was a different type of plague, it says, but the mortality rates were just as high as those a century earlier. Towns in Italy were abandoned, some of them forever. The military and Roman infrastructure were massively weakened. Once again, uh, though Christians shone in the midst of the trial. Uh, Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage, put it like this. He said, how suitable and how necessary it is that this plague and pestilence, which seems horrible and deadly, searches out the justice of each and every one and examines the mind of the human race. Whether the healthy uh, care for the sick, or whether the relatives dutifully love kinsmen uh, as they should, whether physicians do not desert the afflicted, the plagues search us. They discover in us either the way of the flesh, which is self-preservation, or the way of the spirit, self-giving sacrifice. The third century plague found in the church uh, a spirit-filled people willing to walk the way of their master. Plagues intensify the natural course of life. They intensify our own sense of mortality and frailty. They also intensify opportunities to display countercultural, counterconditional love. Christian death rates were significantly lower than those of the general population, perhaps only 10%, though the word only is a fearful qualifier. The mutual love of brothers and sisters in Christ meant that on the one hand, those who provided care were at a higher risk of infection, but on the other, those who were infected had better survival rates. As these Christians made themselves vulnerable to debt, they actually found life. Once the plague had swept through, Christians were stronger. They were stronger as a, as a, proportion, as a proportion of society since more of them survived. They had more resilience because they had a robust hope in the face of death. And they were stronger as communities, forge, forging even closer bonds through the sufferings they faced. It says, if you want to know how Christianity... Christianity went from an obscure and marginal movement to representing around 6 million believers by AD 300. Plagues were a huge factor. <laughs> Plagues were a huge factor. So instead of running away from the danger, instead of not meeting with each other, instead of like shutting it all down, they came to each other's aid and the numbers bear out that they were more of them survived than outside of the church. That's amazing. And then you have Martin Luther at Wittenberg. And I kind of spoke about this, but I'll just give a little bit more. 
from the 14th century onward, the Black Debt haunted Europe. In just five years, it wiped out as much as half the population, with urban areas particularly affected. And outbreaks continued recurring in the following centuries, including the plague that struck Wittenberg in 1527. And many fled. Yet Luther and his pregnant wife, Katharina, remained to care for the sick, citing Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 through 46 as their guide. He said, we must respect the word of Christ. I was sick and you did not and you did not visit me. According to this passage, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress, but is uh, obliged to assist and help him as he himself would like to be helped. And so they stuck around and they helped people. And like I said before, they made it through. Now, they weren't they were not coming down on, on others, but they felt a personal conviction and a call to stay and to help. And all I'm saying is that we here in America, in a lot of our churches, too easily shut the doors. We not only shut the doors, but we didn't even have any alternative way of meeting. As a matter of fact, we were scared. You know, we were like, no. And we just capitulated. And I want to tell you that evil men noticed and there will, there will be other things that arise that will be calling for the church to stop meeting. Believe me, it's going to happen again. What will we do? What will we do? What will we do? The last example in church history, Charles Spurgeon in London. And by 1850, the 1850s, London was the most powerful and wealthiest city in the world. With a population of more than 2 million, a cholera Outbreak in 1854 struck fear in the hearts of the the people of London. Charles Spurgeon, who was only 20 years old at the time, uh, came to the capital to pastor New Park Street Chapel. And he would look back to this plague as a key time of learning both for himself and also for the city. If there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I recollect when, I, when first I came to London, this is uh, Spurgeon, how anxiously people listened to the gospel, for the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. You see, when you're face-to-face with your own mortality, and this is me speaking now, <laughs> when you're face-to-face with that, man, you are open. Your heart is open. Your heart, it, it tends to be, it, it is going to be hardened to the point of no return, or it's going to be open, and a lot of time it's open. He tell, Spurgeon told a story of a, of, of a man who was dying who had previously opposed him, right? He said, that man in his lifetime had been wont to jeer at me in strong language. He had often denounced me as a hypocrite. Yet he was no sooner smitten by the darts of debt than he sought my presence and counsel. No doubt feeling in his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it with his lips. The sinking sand of this world is a constant reality, but it often takes the storms of this life to reveal it. Spurgeon saw the plagues of his day as a storm that led many to seek refuge in Christ. So historically, again, the church has led the way. In crisis, but in 2020, it seemed like the, the the fate and the vigor 
of the past turned into weak-kneed, jelly-spine capitulation. And I know that may sound harsh, but when you have time now to look back at what happened, man, a lot was lost during that time. I'm not saying that that time went without any blessings or any, but man, there was a lot that was lost. There was there were, there were things that were realized about the church. The weaknesses were exposed. We were easily shut down, too easily. And understanding, again, the mind of wicked men, when the next crisis arrives, they will expect the same capitulation again from the church. You watch it. But evil times require a robust church. We are not living in times where we can fold, be weak, back off of the scripture, or follow the world. We're not living in those times. We cannot be weak. The church is the X factor. If the church is the church, man, that's the ball game. So I want us to dig deep down and look at our DNA of standing strong. Let's look back at the church history. And we're going to go even further back than when I went before. Where the church stood strong in the face of opposition. And let's pull on that rich history of spirit-filled, unflinching obedience to God. We're going to take a look in Acts, the book of Acts, chapters uh, 3, 4, and 5. I'm going to highlight some things there. At the foundation of the church stands an example for us today of how we have to operate living in 21st century America. So evil men are deceiving and being deceived. They are clamoring for control. They have God complexes. They promote things like population control, sexual deviancy, vileness and murder, moving authority away from the home and the parents. Facing this, we have to have a robust church. The church cannot stand to be weak-kneed in this hour. A church that is led by Holy Spirit and that value what the early church valued. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and this is speaking about what the Holy Spirit was doing and the outflow of, of, of him filling his church. It said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 tells of their fellowship, their closeness. We need this in our local churches today, y'all. Because more and more as we see evil, you know, uh, advancing, we're going to need each other in the body of Christ all the more. As the days get darker, you're going to have to know the person you're in the foxhole with. 
Gone are the days of just attending church and not knowing the person that sits next to you, that you see every Sunday, that you see every Wednesday, but don't know a thing about them. Gone are those days. We have to have this closeness. It's a closeness brought about by the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 32 through 34, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And it would be distributed to each as any had need. This was a work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was uh, causing them to love like God causes us to love. They had a closeness. They were together. They were eating meals together. They were going house to house. They were praying for each other. Man, this is what we need in this hour. We can't have these churches that are just so uh, uh, detached in the body where You know, there are different programs and events going on, but no real discipleship, no real linking of arms. That's weakness. When we don't have that, we're going to need each other. In our local churches, this has to happen. This has to happen. We have to know each other. And our lives have to be lived among each other. But I'm going to turn the page here. But while all of this was happening, the great fellowship, the great koinonia in the first century church, if you look back at Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5, all this was happening. The Holy Spirit was there in the mix. But what began to arise was persecution. It began to arise. Acts chapter 3, God uses Peter and John to heal the lame beggar. This opens the, the, the floor yet again for the preaching of the gospel in which the religious officials, namely the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, came in sharp conflict with the apostles and what they were preaching about Jesus. And we're going to get into that. Acts chapter 4. Because you had these leading officials, these Sadducees, who were the high, of the high priestly order, they didn't like that Peter and John and the apostles were preaching that Jesus resurrected because they didn't believe that. So this caused a problem. As the apostles were preaching the word, as they were doing what they were supposed to do, it began to cause a problem. Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. They were preaching the gospel and many were believing. They were believing. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Then on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire by what power or in what name Have you done this? We're going to stop right here. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Our time, we have to have a robust church. 
we have to have a robust church. We'll be back right after this. Living for the most high, feeling like I won't die. Before I get to meet him, I'ma see him crack the whole sky. Everything he teaching me, I'm speaking through the flow now. And it's even sweeter than before now. Got me yelling God over my name. Christ over fame, be the same. Me before they added lights to my name. Fame make you not realize you a slave. Be obedient, your master, add ice to your chains. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Wednesdays with Will, and we're talking about... Living in evil times, how we require a robust church, a robust church. We have to have a robust witness uh, as these times draw darker and darker. And I was reading from Acts chapter 4, and I want to continue on because there's a point I want to, to make here. And so we have the, the closeness of the body of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit at work, that miracles, signs, and wonders are happening. People are being added to the number daily. They're preaching the gospel like they're supposed to be. And then some persecution arise because there are some religious leaders who have a problem with what they're teaching, namely the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they were preaching that Jesus rose again. And so there was a problem. And so they, start, they arrested the apostles and then they questioned Peter and John. And the question that they asked was, by what power or what in what name have you done this? And then it goes on to say in verse 8 in chapter 4, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's a huge statement right there. In these times, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to stop right here to hearken back to something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 20. Jesus said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts (laughs) and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But wait, he said, but when they hand you over, do not worry about how. Do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Going back to Acts chapter four, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people. If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the, he is the stone which, the, which, he, which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is saying this by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told him and he told all the disciples, they're going to put you in the courts. They're going to question you. 
But don't even worry about what you have to say in that moment because it will be given to you by the Holy Spirit. And here right now, we see that happening in Acts chapter 4, that through the Spirit, uh, Peter is telling these officials, these uh, uh, high priestly officials, the answer to their question. It's amazing. You got to understand that these same priests, these same people was the, were the ones that crucified Jesus. They, they were the ones out front. Peter is boldly speaking to them now under the power of the Holy Spirit and telling them the truth. We're going to have to be a people that tell the truth in spite of being persecuted. It's coming. It's here now. I want to go ahead and read more. Then it says, now, as they, uh, as they observed the confidence, that confidence was brought about by the Holy Spirit. The confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Then it says, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. And this is what they decide. But so that it would not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to do what? To speak no longer to any man in this name. Now, when this mandate came out, the apostles, they could have been like, man, these were the same dudes that killed Jesus. They're telling us not to speak in his name. Oh, man, we got to shut it down. We got to shut it down. But what did they say? We're going to get to that. They said they don't want him speak. They don't want them speaking in his name. Right. And they had summoned them. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you'll be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go. So they let them go. But it's fascinating to see where they went. So they let the apostles go. <laughs> but they went right to the people of God. Verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. And they said, Lord, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said, why did the Gentile rage? And the peoples devised futile uh, things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Here it is. And now... Lord, take notice of their threats. See, what happened here, Peter and John, they were released. But, man, they were kind of shaken. These were the same guys that had Jesus crucified, the same ones. 
And they were high priestly guys. These were the, the big timers. And so they knew exactly where to go. So if you're, if you're in a church where you don't have relationship with anyone else in the church, you're not going to know where to go when things get hot. That's why we have to have the fellowship amongst the body of believers. Because when things happen, we have to know where to go. Verse 29, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Things are heating up, family of God. You have to be a part of a local fellowship, one that believes the word of God, one that believes in prayer. Because when things like this happen, when you're on your job and they're saying, now you got to use these pronouns or you're going to be fired. And you say, man, I have to obey God rather than man. And you don't use them and you're fired or there's a threat of being fired. Go to the place of prayer where the other believers are and say, hey, this is what's happening. We've had this situation in in our fellowship happened already. Already it's happening. You have to know where to go when things get hot. But if there's no relationship built within the the churches, no fellowship, no koinonia, this will not happen. There's a reason why the, the scriptures tell us that they were all in one accord, that they were eating meals together, that they were doing life together. Because things were going to get hot real soon, and they had to know where to go. They had to know where to go. It's amazing. Acts chapter 5, we have judgment on Ananias and Sapphira, right? For lying to the Holy Spirit. And fear comes upon the church as God displays that from the formation of the church, just as it was in the Old Testament, God had to be seen as holy. Remember Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come, Near to me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. So you have a New Testament iteration of that with Ananias and Sapphira at the formation of the church, the founding of the church. They're lying to the Holy Spirit and they drop dead right there once it's revealed. So you have that happen. And then you go down in Acts chapter chapter 5, and you see that the apostles are still doing miracles and, and wonders and things are happening and, people, happening and people are believing. But then the high priest and the Sadducees, they get mad again. So then you look at verse 17 in chapter 5. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, and that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They were jealous. They're like, all the people are loving these apostles. They're coming to this Jesus Christ. They're seeing signs and wonders. And they were jealous. 18 says, they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. 
So here we go again. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in prison. And they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. So a miracle. But these guys, they were back. The apostles were back preaching. So then you drop down to verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. So they, they, they got them. They were preaching. They got them again. They put them before this council again. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The apostles did not stop in the face of being persecuted. As a matter of fact, they went harder. The Bible says that they were filling Jerusalem with the teaching now. And they were, these, these guys, these religious leaders were mad. We told y'all, don't teach in his name. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. <laughs> Look, again, when we are mandated to do things, when there are, are, are things that come in and say, you have to do this or else you will be jailed. What are we going to do as the church? I say during the pandemic, a lot of churches folded. Man, and that's sad. But there will be another chance. Believe me, there will be another chance. These religious leaders, they wanted to kill them. They wanted to kill the apostles. They killed Jesus, so his disciples were definitely next in line. Look, this was life and death. And in the face of this, the apostles said, we, are, we, we, we have to obey God rather than men. And then the last situation. After this, the men wanted to kill him. But there was a religious leader, a great rabbi, Gamaliel, who stood up and was a voice of reason. And he said, look, man, don't, don't act hastily. And God was using him at this point because he was preserving the apostles through a Jewish rabbi who wasn't a Christian. But he was well-respected. God was using him. And so they listened to Gamaliel, and they released the apostles, but not without incident. The Bible says that they released them, but they beat them. And they told them again, don't you speak in his name. They took his advice. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. And look what the apostles were doing. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Uh, what I'm saying here today that we have to have a robust church for these times. We cannot capitulate. 
No matter what man says, we have to obey God. And I want to encourage you as Christians, as followers of the way, to not bow down. We have to follow God. This has been Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. We'll be back tomorrow, but until then, God bless.